All right. Hey, we are in week two of our series that we're calling Prepared for Persecution. Let's just recap what we've talked about so far. Times of testing show our true character, and we need to be ready to pass the test because tests come. We talked about the parable of the sower last week with the four different types of soil, the hard soil, the shallow soil, the weedy soil, and the good soil. We want to avoid being the shallow soil. That's what this series is really talking about, being prepared for persecution. So Matthew 13, 21 is an important verse in the explanation that Jesus gives of the parable of the sower, and he's talking about the shallow soil. He says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So when trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. They had at first received the word of God with joy. They're excited to be Christians, excited to be following Jesus, but not if trouble and persecution comes, when trouble and persecution comes, then they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. So they fell away. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be the individuals that fall away when the difficult times come, because the reality is, is that we have prophecy that our future will involve persecution. So if we know it's coming and we see that it's something that we need to be prepared for, then we need to be ready. Let's go back to Matthew 24, 9 through 13. This is such an important section of scripture. It says this, then you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. This sounds terrible. This is Jesus talking about what's coming in the future. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we want to be those who stand firm to the end, whose love does not grow cold. But we know we're going to be facing difficulties. These few verses talk about three of the four biggest practical problems with the body of Christ, and that is quitters, the ones who turn away from the faith, and then there is internal division, the ones that will betray and hate each other. And then there's false teaching. You know, the false prophets will rise up. These are three of the four biggest problems. The fourth one is complacency. You don't see that in here, but it's got three out of four in just these verses. The difficulties that we face, the trials that we face will bring us into a place where we are tested. And so we need to be prepared for persecution. And then just the last thing by way of recap. So we prepare by knowing what the Bible teaches about how to handle persecution, believing that you can do it, and then practicing that now, following the teachings so that you can get better at it over time. Start practicing now. This week, we're going to do a case study in persecution by looking at Paul and Silas. So today is a case study. We're going to learn some lessons through the example of the Apostle Paul and Silas. As we look at this story, let me give you basically my motivation for talking about Paul and Silas in prison. And this is a lot of my motivation for the series in general. There is a famous Proverb 29, 18 which in the King James is where there is no vision, the people perish. In the NIV, 
It says here, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. We don't want to be in that place where there's no vision and the people perish, or when there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. You know, that verse, I believe it could be more accurately translated from the people perish as the people run around in their underwear in public. I think that's a more accurate translation. There isn't someone who has translated it that way as far as I know, but casting off restraint, the idea is if you don't understand the ways of God and how you're supposed to respond, you're going to act foolishly. So when there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. They act foolishly. And we don't want to act foolishly in the midst of difficult times. I want us to have vision and revelation and understanding on how to handle the difficulties of this life so that we don't respond foolishly, but we respond with wisdom, godly wisdom and godly direction. So let's get that vision by looking at the example of the apostle Paul in Philippi. Paul and Silas end up in Philippi on a missionary journey. They're getting some work done and they run into some difficulties. Last week, we read a verse, a couple verses from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four, verses 12 and 13. And this is what we read last week. The apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul is telling the Philippian church that he can get her done if he's hungry or if he's well-fed, if he's got all his needs met or not. The church in Philippi had just sent an offering to Paul of some sort, a bunch of supplies so that he could be taken care of while he's in prison. And uh, he was thanking them for that. And he was just saying how much he appreciated that, but also that he had learned the secret of being content, whatever his situation was, if he's taken care of or not taken care of, if he's facing difficulties or if things are going smooth, he has this place, the secret of being content in any and every situation. So is there some history between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi that can shed some light on them understanding what he's talking about here? And there is, there's a tremendous amount of history between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi. It gives uh, light, it gives more weight to this idea of being content in any and every situation because we're going to look at a situation that the Apostle Paul was in, in Philippi. So this is in the town that he's writing to the church of. And I believe many of the people at the church would have been there when Paul was going through this. So let's take a peek at this. Let's get a vision for how we handle persecution by looking at what Paul and Silas went through. Let's set the stage. So Paul and Barnabas had been out doing missions work. They've been visiting different places, sharing the gospel, uh, seeing some people respond to Christ. They're having a good time. They finished that missionary journey, and now it's time to go back out and do some follow-up. You know, they couldn't just text people or, you know, call them. There was no way to do that. They had to travel to do follow-up. So they're going to do another journey to follow-up, but the plans for the follow-up journey ended up creating some conflict. So let's go to Acts chapter 15 starting in verse 36, and we'll see the planning process here. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see here that there's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, of course, the son of encouragement. He's a great guy. He's always trying to stand up for the underdog and the one that's uh, marginalized. And so he's standing up for John Mark. John Mark had quit on them in their earlier missionary journey. And Paul says, are we not bringing quitters with us? So forget it. We're not bringing John Mark. He ain't coming with us. And uh, he wouldn't relent. And so Barnabas, who you know, John Mark's actually his cousin. He wants to bring him with. And so he's like, you know what? We'll just go our own way and we'll go and uh, check up on some people ourselves. You go do your thing. We'll go do our thing. So this seems pretty harsh, but as we'll see, they didn't need any quitters on the team on this next journey. They didn't need any people who are going to crumble under the difficulties and want to run away. They couldn't, it just wasn't going to work if they had quitters on the team. So There was not just follow-up happening when Paul and Silas went out, but they were doing new missions work as well. So let's look here. We'll jump to chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God has called them through a dream that Paul had to go to Macedonia. And if God is calling them to Macedonia, this should be smooth sailing, right? It should work out really well. They'll have great testimonies. Everybody will have a good time. It'll be fantastic, right? Well, that's not exactly how it turned out. This turned out to be very difficult. This turned out to involve significant hardship and persecution. So Let's keep reading. We'll jump to verse 12. So here's the story. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So Paul had a dream to go to Macedonia. They go to Macedonia. That's a region. The leading city of that region is Philippi. So this is talking about Philippi. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they've got a place to live, you know, while they're doing their missions work there in Philippi. So things are kind of getting started. That's a good thing. And then it continues. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So now we've got this slave girl who 
you know, isn't a housekeeper. She's a fortune teller and her owners make a lot of money off of her. People are impressed with her fortune telling ability, apparently, and they make a lot of money off of this girl. And she is basically telling the truth. You know, she proclaims these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's good. I mean, if she's a fortune teller and she's telling the truth, why is this such a problem? Well, she's mocking them through it and disrupting what's going on and saying this the whole time. It's be like if I'm preaching the message and there's somebody in the back that shouts every 30 seconds, there's Pastor Mike preaching the word of God. You know, I mean, if if somebody did that, it would disrupt the service. It's just not going to work, especially if they did it in a mocking tone. So have we gotten to persecution yet? No. Right now, Paul and Silas are experiencing opposition. Someone is basically disrupting what they're doing. They don't like them. They're opposed to what they're doing. But this isn't persecution. This is just opposition. So when somebody doesn't like you because of your faith or they say, I disagree with you and you're wrong, then that's just opposition. It's not persecution. Persecution is different. So let's keep reading and we'll get a sense of what persecution is. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So now it's getting worse. They're they're getting arrested. That's you know, into the persecution realm where they're being arrested. It's getting scarier. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he had received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now we're at persecution. (laughs) They've been arrested They've been beaten. It says here, severely flogged. I would not want to be flogged in a Roman court. You know, they're the ones that scourged Jesus. That's the flogging. Paul and Silas were beaten with rods. So they they weren't whipped necessarily. It describes here that they were beaten with rods, but it's also described as severely flogged. I wouldn't want to be flogged. And I certainly wouldn't want to be in the category of severely flogged. Then they're thrown in prison. Their feet are put in the stocks. They're in the inner cell. Now they're facing persecution. Why are they in this situation? Because they delivered a slave girl from a demon. This was not welcome to the slave girl's owners. It doesn't say anything about what she had to say. You know, back then she's just property. She's being forced to do things. I don't know what her position was on that. It doesn't say, but the owners were very upset with Paul and Silas. They clearly believed that her ability to fortune tell was gone now because the demon had left. The spirit was gone. So they believed in the spiritual power of Paul and Silas through Christ, but they didn't like it. So they had them beaten and thrown in prison. Their feet are in the stocks. This is bad. So how should Paul and Silas respond? How should they deal with this? How would you deal with this? 
If you're just trying to serve Jesus, you know, you're doing some work for him and somebody keeps disrupting the meeting or disrupting what you're doing over and over. And then after several days, you finally put a stop to it. And then you get beaten and your feet in the stocks thrown in prison. You know, how would you respond to that? You know, how should they respond? What should they do? And if I may uh, be so bold, what if Paul and Silas were told to wear masks instead of beaten and thrown in prison? Uh, How should they respond to that? Might that be just a little bit less of an issue than uh, this situation? So the things we're dealing with, of course, are inconveniences. It's not even opposition, let alone persecution. So we need to be able to handle our inconveniences. And let's look at Paul and Silas to see how they handled this much, much more difficult situation. So let's keep reading. Their response, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Their response wasn't to whine and cry. Their response wasn't to ask God, why did you do this to us? Or to be dejected and have their faith crushed. They're having church. They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners are listening. Think about what this means. It's just one little verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. What is their physical situation? They've been severely flogged, beaten with rods, and they've been put in the stocks in the inner cell, their feet in the stocks, not their head and hands like you might picture, but their feet are in the stocks. I don't know about you, but I'd have trouble sleeping, you know, in that situation. As we learn later in the story, their wounds are just open wounds. It's not like they took care of them. The rods opened them up when they were hit with them and they just left them. So they're wounded, undressed wounds. Their feet are in the stocks. Their physical situation is quite terrible. What is their emotional state in this? Well, they're still worshiping the Lord. They're still praying. They're still trusting in God. You know, it's really amazing. What's their spiritual situation? They're not in a spiritual crisis. They're trusting God in the midst of this. They've got faith that God will deliver them and something good is going to happen. And then the amazing second part of this verse, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So the prison was set up such that, you know, they were in the inner cell, the central cell, and then there's prisoners all around them, and they're all able to hear Paul and Silas. So Paul and Silas are showing the other prisoners what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship. You know, this is just amazing how Paul and Silas were able to handle this situation, not whining and crying and throwing a fit, but instead full of faith, singing and praising God, you know, having a prayer meeting, having church at midnight. So what happens next? Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, the way I picture this is God is watching from heaven and he's thinking, okay, Paul and Silas, you know, it's not me doing this. You can, you can do it. You can overcome. I've got a plan here. And when they are just 
singing hymns and they're having a prayer meeting and they're showing their faith in God in the midst of the difficulty. I just see it. I don't, again, this is me just picturing it in my mind. I just see God so moved and amazed at it. He just shakes that place and knocks the chains off and opens the doors. You know, it's amazing the response that God makes to Paul and Silas's overcoming spirit in the midst of this difficult time of persecution. So let's keep reading. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. There is so much in this. First of all, Paul doesn't just look at the jailer and watch him kill himself. Right, you know, he cares about the jailer. If you were in a Philippian jail, flogged severely, thrown in the inner cell, he's the one who threw him in the inner cell and put feet in the stocks. Would you care about the jailer? Paul cares about the jailer. He shouts, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now it was dark in the prison. How does Paul know that all the prisoners are there? It's dark. If you were in a Philippian prison and it's midnight and it's dark, there's no lights in the jail, your chains fall off and the doors are open to the prison, what would you do? I tell you what, you run out into the night. That's what you do. You know, you get away from there. But Paul says that they are all still there. What an amazing miracle that God would have the chains fall off of them and the doors of the prison open, but nobody leaves. Why didn't they leave? I believe it wasn't just a prayer and hymn night. They're having revival meetings and there's people getting saved. The prisoners have decided that they're going to follow Jesus. And Paul, when the chains fall off and the doors open, Paul says, hey guys, everybody stay here. Nobody leave. We got some work to do. And they stayed. This means that there's an incredible, amazing move of God going on. The prisoners, not just Paul and Silas, the other prisoners stayed to show mercy to the jailer. This is amazing. It's incredible. So let's keep reading. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So this is the fruit of Paul and Silas's perseverance. The fruit of it is that the other prisoners, I believe, were saved. The jailer must have been listening because he asked them, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? I, he didn't, wasn't sleeping, I don't think, the whole time, but he was sleeping when the earthquake happened. So he knew that Paul and Silas were men of God, and he knew to ask the question, what do I need to do to be saved? So the fruit of Paul and Silas's perseverance is that the jailer and his family come to Christ, that the prisoners come to Christ. And then we see, I'm sure from this, it's the formation of the Philippian church. The church in Philippi that Paul is writing to, that's the book of Philippians. 
has got to be made up of people that were here, prisoners, probably the jailer and his family. You know, they would have been committed to Christ and they would have been part of that church that opens up. So this is who Paul is writing to when he says, I know the secret of being content in any circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's writing to the people who saw him be severely flogged, thrown in prison, and love the other prisoners, love the jailer and his family, and overcome through the midst of that circumstance, that difficult persecution. The book of Philippians reads amazingly well when we see it as the book written to the church that was started at the Philippian prison. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, they knew the story, and I am convinced some of the people in that church were there at that time. The jailer, his family, other prisoners, they're there. Let's read another section of scripture from Philippians. Let's read 4, 6, and 7. Paul is writing to these people that were there when he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7, written to them. Don't be anxious, you know, but in every situation, pray, bring your petitions to God with thanksgiving, and you'll have peace that will guard your heart and your mind. Powerful, powerful stuff. This is not theory. This is not theology. This is life. By looking at Paul's example, What is our vision for facing persecution? How should we handle the difficulties and the hardships of this life? So I'm including the difficulties and hardships. You've got inconveniences, opposition, and persecution. We saw Paul handle opposition and persecution here. How do we do this? Well, Paul's example, the vision we should have for how we can walk through this, Paul had an unshakable faith. He just, he had a dream, you know, from God. Go to Macedonia. Who's the man of Macedonia? You know, they leave after that. You know, there's a little bit more to the story that we're not reading today. You can read the rest of the story there. You know, Paul is a Roman citizen and he calls them on that. So it isn't just all nice stuff. Paul also was aggressive, but he had an unshakable faith in the midst of this situation. He didn't whine and cry. He didn't have a faith crisis. His faith was unshakable. And as we walk through the difficult of this life, now is a good time to practice an unshakable faith because we're going to be facing things that are harder in the future, very likely. Paul had a profound peace in the midst of the storm, and he told them how to have peace in the midst of difficult situations in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but he showed them that first. He's in the inner cell with bleeding wounds, his feet are in the stocks, and he's having revival meetings and people are getting saved. Peace in the storm. Paul had an amazing love for his enemies. He was able to bring other people into having that love as well. All of the prisoners had to stay for the jailer to survive, for the jailer to not, in his shame, fall on his sword. They all stayed. Not only did Paul and Silas love the jailer, but they brought all the rest of the prisoners into the place of loving the jailer as well. And of course, this is a great example of overcoming evil with good. Paul and Silas overcame evil, tremendous evil that happened to them. They overcame that with good. This is the example, the vision we should have for facing persecution. Unshakable faith, profound peace in the storm, 
love for enemies, and overcoming evil with good. So let's apply this to today. What are some lessons that we can take home? Lesson number one, we need to put our current circumstances into perspective. For most of us, we're going through an inconvenience at this time. You know, the COVID-19, all of that, all these things that are going on, the, the different guidelines and restrictions, this is an inconvenience. It's not even opposition. You know, from a pastor's perspective, I think it's very important for us to understand that we have incredible privileges and incredible freedoms in the United States. And we shouldn't complain about those freedoms when we're not having those freedoms infringed upon. Everyone is having to face these inconveniences and these difficulties. So we need to put our current circumstances into perspective. We are facing inconveniences. You may be personally facing opposition, but in America, there's very few people that are actually facing true persecution. And then, you know, in the idea of putting our circumstances into perspective, we need to practice now because how's it going to go when things actually get hard? When things actually start looking like they, they were described in Matthew chapter 25, what happens when it gets like that? If we can't handle today's light and momentary troubles, how are we going to be able to manage when it gets really difficult? So now's a great time to put these things into perspective and to get our hearts right and practice unshakable faith, practice peace in the storm, practice loving your enemies, and practice overcoming evil with good. Application number one, let's put our current circumstances into perspective. Number two, thing to apply is now's not the time to quit or pull back. Now's the time to grow in your faith. Now's the time to look at the things that we're dealing with and go through it with a right heart. Be like Paul and Silas, you know, they were in a rough spot and they decided that they would pray and sing to the Lord. That's what they, that's what they did. Do that. You know, they didn't whine. They didn't cry. They prayed. They sang to the Lord. So we need to practice growing in our faith, dealing with the things that we face right now. Let's look back at Paul and Silas. What if they had a quitter with them? Remember, they didn't bring John Mark and Barnabas didn't come either. His heart was to encourage John Mark and to bring him up. And Paul was like, no, we're not bringing any quitters on this trip. What if they'd brought a quitter? And instead of Silas being in prison with Paul, it was Mark. What would the other prisoners have heard? What would have happened if Mark was there when he's not ready to face that persecution, not ready to face that hardship, and he crumbles? Well, they would have just seen another person crumbling under the cruelty of the Roman Empire, but instead they saw the power of God to overcome. Now, Barnabas and Mark were not excommunicated, but then again, they're not mentioned, neither one of them, in the book of Acts again. That's the last you hear from them in the book of Acts. They're still believers, they're still part of the group, but... Paul and Silas now go forward. We see them in the scriptures. The apostle Paul continues to be a focus of the book of Acts. Barnabas and Mark, they're kind of set to the side. So we don't want to quit. We want to grow in our faith. We want to face the difficulties, the inconveniences, the struggles with a right heart. And this can take many forms, but really it's about a resolve in your heart to follow Jesus no matter what. So look at the circumstances that you're facing the struggles that you have in your life, if they're personal struggles or societal struggles, whatever they are, and have a resolve in your heart to follow Jesus through them no matter what, to have your heart right before God, to stay thankful in the midst of all the circumstances, all the things that you're dealing with, 
So it isn't about doing a specific thing because different people are handling these things and making different decisions, and that's fine. It's about a resolve in your heart to follow Jesus no matter what, and then applying that to your life. So now is the time not to pull back or quit, but to grow in your faith. And then the last point, point number three here that I want to make before we close is that the world is watching when we do something remarkable. I think oftentimes Christians think the world is watching when they're not. You know, they don't care about us as much as we think they do. But when we're doing something remarkable, they'll pay attention. If we're doing something remarkably stupid, they'll very much pay attention. If we're doing something remarkably courageous, they will see that as well. So in this time where there's disruption and difficulty for everyone, we need to be examples like Paul and Silas were to the other prisoners. They weren't just speaking to people at a conference. They were in the prison speaking to other prisoners who were listening to them pray and sing hymns to God and and apparently talk about how to be saved. They were speaking to other prisoners, ones that were going through the same difficulties. And while they were going through the same difficulties, Paul and Silas did not crack. And the other prisoners knew exactly what they were going through. And they saw the faith and the peace and the strength that they had, the courage that they had. And they're like, there's something good going on right there. They saw it. So we can do the same thing. We have an opportunity right now to overcome negative stereotypes about Christianity. If we walk courageously and full of faith and full of grace through this time, of course, if we act foolishly, You know, without a vision, the people perish. Without revelation, without understanding the examples of the scriptures, people cast off restraint, they act foolishly. If we don't follow the example of Paul and Silas, then we'll reinforce the stereotypes that people have about Christianity, the negative stereotypes. And we certainly don't want to do that. The vision that we need to have for facing persecution is to be like Paul and Silas, to have them be our example and to try to live up to that. Now, in this story, there's so many different types of people. You know, there's Lydia, who they met before all the persecution broke out. You know, somebody who was supportive of the ministry and was helping out. And then she had to see Paul Uh, And Silas go through all of this hardship. She would have been part of that church that the book of Philippians was written to. There's people like her. There's the slave girl, a girl that's in bondage and exploited by things beyond her control. There's the persecutors, you know, people who see superficial things, but they're missing the powerful things of God. You know, there's John Mark, the one who was put on the shelf when it counted the most because he just wasn't strong enough to handle the difficulties. There's Paul and Silas, of course, facing great hardship for Christ, but not being crushed. There are the other prisoners that were in a very difficult time of life. You know, they were probably, uh, some of them may have been falsely imprisoned, but others probably were getting what their actions deserved in the Roman culture. And yet they were in that difficult place in life, but they saw something worth living for. They saw something worth sacrificing for. They saw something that was worth staying in the prison for. And something changed for the prisoners. And then the jailer, and my heart goes out to the jailer. He was ready to end it all until the love of God intervened in his life. There are all these situations that we see in this story. And Jesus knows the exact situation that you're going through. 
And whatever you need, if it's forgiveness, if it's deliverance, if it's a new life, if it's vision for how to walk through the difficulties you're facing, if it's power to overcome, if it's purpose for your life, whatever it is, if you're willing to go get it, Jesus has it for you. So we're going to pray and let's receive something good from God. So pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We honor you and we love you. Lord, for those who don't know you, but they know it's time to accept you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, that they would just right now pray and ask for forgiveness and pledge their lives to learn your ways and to walk in your ways. And Lord, that you would meet them right there and help them through that. Father, for those who need strength to overcome, Lord, give us strength. Lord, for those who need to be set free from evil forces beyond our control, Lord, you are bigger than those, so bring your freedom and deliverance. Lord, for those who need a a new life to start fresh, give new life. Lord, for those who need vision to be able to see how to walk through this, to have wisdom, to overcome, and to put everything in perspective, give us that vision and wisdom. And Lord, we know that your grace and love is for all of us. So Lord, shower your grace and your love on us so that we can be filled with joy like the jailer and his family who found their purpose and they found your love through such an unusual circumstance. The prisoners that they had put in prison brought your love to them. So Lord, whatever we need, let us receive it from you. And I pray a blessing and encouragement over each one that's hearing this right now. Lord, let your blessings be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.